0: morning. Give yourselves a hand for getting out of bed today. Yeah, you got out of bed this morning. That's a big deal. We celebrate that. You know what else we celebrate? We celebrate you shoveling yourself out to get here this morning. Give yourselves a hand for snow not stopping you from getting closer to Jesus today. That's what we're all about. We just want to get closer to Jesus today. And uh, let me tell you, there is a, the Bible says that there is, an, there is a thief that wants to steal. Kill and destroy, and this morning that thief just said, "Just said I'm going to send you some snow and see if it'll destroy you." And it did not destroy you today. So thank you so much for being here. You live in Maine; snow never destroys you, right? Come on, you guys are going to have to wake up this morning. I under, Listen, I know, I know you're you're awake because you had to do something to get yourself out of that snow to get here. I know because I had to get up a little earlier. I had to get my shovel. Um, I moved from the Midwest, and um, I, uh, I, I'm i too stubborn to go out and buy a snowblower. So I've got that shovel. I'm out there just doing it by hand. And this morning I'm going, just please send a plow, Jesus, please just send a plow. And uh, he didn't send a plow. So um, it works. Uh, you know, God just wanted to say, Adam, how bad do you want it this morning? So thank you so much for being here. Uh, before we get started, I want to just point out that our small groups, yes, are beginning on March the fourth. Uh, yeah, come on, that's that's something to to celebrate. You know what else we're celebrating on March fourth? Our birthday. Yeah, come on. If you're not listen, if you don't want to clap and don't want to celebrate, you're in the wrong church this morning. So um, we are celebrating our birthday, March fourth, as, uh, as a as a as a Way of celebration. We're going to start our small group semester for the spring, and uh, one of the things that we need to do that is we need leaders to do that. And so we have what's called a free market philosophy of small groups. What that means is that anyone can start a small group, and it can be about whatever you want it to, as long as it honors Jesus, it's centered around God's word, and I'm going to approve everything. So, like, we're not going to have small groups of anything that might be questionable. So, um, if you're interested in leading a small group today, email us at hello at refugemain.church or just stop by our guest central area, which is um, the, the table with the black tablecloth, which we couldn't find this morning. This morning, listen, let me tell you, this morning was crazy setting up uh, because I believe with all of my heart that God has something for someone in here today that's that And just said, I I don't want them to hear that. And so he did everything he could. Anyway, we're not going to give him any more credit than what we've done already. So um, go by Guest Central. It's the table with the black cloth with the banner that says Refuge Church all over it. Go by there. Let them know that you're interested in um, signing up to be a small group leader. Let them know your your email and the type of uh, group that you want to lead. And then uh, we will send you an email let you know all the details about our meeting this Friday to, to do some training at our new church office. So, um, that's yeah, that's something else that's really exciting. That's at our house, and uh, that is going to be done this week, and I'm, I'm ready for it. So, before I begin into our, uh, our, our word for the day, our, our, our message, I need to let you know today I would classify today's message as a PG-13 message. Um, now, don't let that scare you. Um, I just feel like I need to say that right ahead so that if there are any little ones that you wouldn't want to hear a PG-13 message, that um, you can have them check into our kids' area. We've got a volunteer out there ready. I let them know ahead of time, hey, so as soon as I get up there, I'm going to let, let everyone know it's a PG-13 message. If you have a, a child that you don't want to hear that, um, you can, we've got a child care for them and, and just want to um, – <laughs> You know, to, to check them in, I'm chuckling because I'm see, seeing some of your faces, and you're going, ooh, PG-13. <laughs> I wonder why this pastor classifies as PG-13. Um, and so that you know, my daughter is 12 years old. She's in the sixth grade, and I would feel more than comfortable with her being in here today. So um, although I say PG-13, it's probably more PG-12. I don't know if there's such a thing, but I'm going to make up my own rating this morning. Um, so just to let you know, I don't want to scare you. But it is mature content. We're talking about marriage. Our series is The Vow. Uh, in week one, and, and, and the, the review is in your notes this morning, but week one, uh, we talked about how I promised, the vow was I promised that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second priority. We talked about how so oftentimes we're obsessed with this idea of finding my one. we got to find the one we got to find the one that God has for me, and we have to find the one for me when really Jesus is the one for you, and he is your number one. He is supposed to be your number one. He died to be in that place, and so he wants to be your one, and because of that, he is your one. We want him to become your one, right? but you're the only one that can put him there, and so if Jesus is your one, then your spouse has to be your two, and by two, we mean that they deserve some priority in your life. So Jesus deserves all the priority, number one, but your spouse also deserves to be number two. And sometimes that means that you need to put your spouse before your kids, and you need to put your spouse before your job, and you need to put your spouse before other things in your life that may become important to you. So that was week one. Week two, last week we talked about how I promise to always pursue my two I promise to always pursue my two. I'm going to chase after my wife because she's worth chasing. Come on, somebody, right? Like, she's worthy of chasing. Man, I hope you found time to go on a date this week. I hope you found time to take your woman out and treat her to something, right? I mean, it was Valentine's Day, so if you didn't, you, like, you're, I'm not, I'm not going to say what you are, but it was Valentine's Day, and you missed an opportunity. You missed an opportunity. Uh. I'm not going to tell you what I was doing on Valentine's Day, but um, so maybe I will. So, my wife and I flew out to Alabama this last week, and um, we were we were coaching church planters and how to start a life giving church. And uh, it was funny. We were we were sitting around a table, and uh, there was this 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 couple. Uh, God bless them. Uh, that's what you say when uh, when you don't know what to say about someone, You Just say God bless them. And um, and it was Valentine's Day, and all these young couples that are getting ready to start their churches, um, and, and they're like, like they they are confident individuals. Guys, listen, if I was if I was really confident when I started this church, I, I apologize to you. Um, I hope I wasn't cocky. I hope I never come across as as cocky as some of these guys. Anyway. Um, We're sitting around the table at, on Valentine's Day, and they've all got their their, uh, their reservations for these fancy restaurants and things like that. And, um, they're like, so where are you guys going for Valentine's Day? And I'm like, we're going to talk about you guys with all the other coaches that are here. So so that's what we did. We went over to uh, one of the, uh, the chief operating officer for ARC. Uh, We went over to his house and we talked about the planters that we were working with and what we see in the potential anyway. So um, that's going to bore you. I'm not going to talk about that anymore. But it was fun to get together with other pastors teaching people how to start churches. It just cost us Valentine's Day. But it's okay because tomorrow I'm celebrating 13 years with my wife, 13 years marriage. I know that you're clapping because she has put up with me for 13 years. I know that. So um, she has put up with me for 13 years, and I'm, I'm uh, honored that she chose me out of everyone. So, um, so thanks, babe. Appreciate that. Today, our vow that we're talking about is, uh, is this, and it's in your notes, so you can write this down. It's, it's I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. I promise that our marriage will be about we and not me. We're talking about partnership today. The vow of partnership. It's awesome that how God works, um, because I just, I'm just able to get out of his way and just let him show up and do some incredible things. Let you in on something that he did this morning. We'll talk about submission in just a a few moments in regards to our marriage. I didn't tell Marcel that before service. Um, It was just the way that God worked it out for him to highlight submission at the beginning of service. And and, in fact, when we talk about submission, Tanya is going to join me in just a few moments in in talking about submission. And, And that way... We get to talk about submission twice in the message and the pastor doesn't get to have to say anything about it Um, because I I don't want like and it's cool how God works that out, right? Because I don't want to be the leader that says you must submit and you must and just rule with an iron fist and dictate you uh, to follow, although sometimes we need that in our lives, right? And so um, we're able to God has set it up for uh, us to talk about submission and, and I don't have to be the one talk about that today. So it's, it's, it's just really cool how God works. Um, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, in, in, in a new uh, new international version, it says this, and again, this is in your notes. Also, if you have a cell phone, if you didn't get any notes, by the way, if you didn't get any notes, could you just raise your hand, just hold it there for a minute, and some of our people in the back will get you um, some notes. Um, if, if someone could, uh, could do that for me, I'd, I'd greatly, greatly appreciate that. we got a few people. Just hold them up. Uh, We're not going to stare at you if your hand is raised because you didn't get any notes. Um, But if you didn't, you can follow along on the UVersion Bible app, um, and uh, it's all electronic. And you can take it home with you, and you can you can save it in your phone. And that's just a really cool tool that we have. So Genesis chapter two, verse twenty-four says that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united. Everybody say united united is united to his wife and they become one flesh before we move forward let's pray god thank you so much for today thank you for your word that is true thank you that we can stand on your word thank you lord that that it tells us that it it divides our soul that it that it breaks it up that it that it pierces who we are and so god i pray that as we are here Lord, that we would be able to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, who am I? And how does this look in my life? God, if we enter this place and we do not allow your word to speak to us, then we wasted our time. And so, God, I pray that in a miraculous way that you would speak to us through me, because that's the miracle. But, Lord, I pray that in a supernatural way you would speak through your word. In Jesus, I pray. So that word "united" is really, really important, and it's underlined in, in your notes because because it is. And, and the, the the Hebrew word for "united" simply means this: it says it means be completely joined. That's also in your notes. Be completely joined. If you're writing that down, completely joined as one completely joined as one. Marriage is a religious institution. It's a, it's a, uh, and we're going to talk more about, about what it is, but it's a union between two people being united and joined together as one flesh. And again, if you're single this morning, I said this in the last two weeks, and um, I don't have it in my notes to say it this morning, but I just want to say, I believe that, If you're single, you can get just as much out of this message as you can any other message because hopefully someday you want to be married, and if you don't, then hopefully it will at least allow you to see your relationship to Jesus and what it looks like because I believe that marriage is a picture of our relationship with Him, with Jesus, and so this will give you an accurate picture of how your life works in with God's picture and with God's but what God has for you. So please don't don't tune me out if if you're single. Um, to be joined together as one. And here's what I believe um, is an issue in a lot of marriage in, in marriage today. Um, I said this last week, I believe, and that was that the divorce rate in America is 50%. Fifty percent. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a problem. The divorce rate in America is fifty percent. I don't know if I had anything in my life that I knew that I only had fifty percent of succeeding in if I would even enter it, if I would even try it, if I would even attempt it, because I'm already up against the wall. There's only a fifty percent chance of me succeeding. We said last week that if you knew if you if you knew that your kids had a fifty percent chance of Of making it home today after church you would wrap them in bubble wrap give them a helmet to wear and strap them into your your car because you would do everything you could to protect them and I believe that marriages are just that we've quit doing everything that we can to protect our marriages today that's why there's only 50% success rate when it comes to marriages in our country and so I believe that Unfortunately, the church in the past has lost its voice when it came to taking a stand for marriage because it didn't take a stand against divorce. And now, all of a sudden, now that there's a debate and a, and a desire to to know the definition of marriage and how we define marriage, I believe that the church lost its voice a long time ago because we've failed in seeing marriages come to a 50% divorce rate where if if marriages were were strong and united in the church and i believe that that's what God wants because again it's a picture of our relationship with Jesus and so i believe that if if the church had just taken a stand and said you know what we're not going to allow the divorce rate to get there then i believe that when the when the, the discussion came up for defining marriage think that we would have had a stronger voice in that but we didn't because we failed in the past and what i'm talking about today in partnership will help us have stronger marriages that hold together i believe that the church has to talk about marriage if it wants marriages to succeed it has to I think that too many churches have ignored talking about marriage because, well, it doesn't apply to everyone in the church. I get that. I understand it. But we're going to talk about marriage because it's important. And we want to have a voice when it comes to marriage. And when it comes to your marriage, we want to help it. We want it to be stronger. We want it to be the way Jesus wants it to be. So... I understand that that many of you in here today have probably been divorced. If if the success rate is only 50%, then 50% of you that have been married have been divorced. And so, if that's you, I want you to know it's okay. What's done is done. You can't change your past. But we believe that you can change your future. And so that's why we're here. That's why we're talking about it. I don't want to just skim over the fact that, you know what, divorce is a problem. And, and, and some of you probably have been divorced or may have been divorced. And I don't want to just skim over the fact and say that we don't care about that. We absolutely care about that. But we want to help you changing your future. Do you understand that? Am, am, I, am, like, am, I, am I being clear on that? I don't want to just skim over that. I wanna make sure that you understand it because we really, really, really do care about your marriage and we care about you. But we believe that if you're gonna have to that if, if you're gonna really care for the marriage, that it has to start with God's word. Everything has to start with God's word. That's what again, that's why we're here. So in the book of Matthew, chapter nineteen, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but um, again, this this is also in your notes, Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, it says this. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united as his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I always say that whenever I conduct a Marriage ceremony, I always say what God has joined together, let no man separate. As I quote Matthew 19.6 to say, this is a union, this is strong, this is a bond. And so, I want to talk about a couple things when it comes to marriage today, when it comes to marriage being strong. The first thing that I want to talk about is this. Marriage is a covenant covenant not a contract. Let me say that again. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. And so I know that we don't really use the word covenant very often, so we're going to explain the difference between the two. A contract, and this is in your notes, you can write this one down. A contract is based on a mutual distrust. Okay, write that down. A, A contract is based on a mutual distrust. So if... If I enter into a contract with someone, we're saying, you know what, I don't really trust you to pay me back. So we're going to make this contract to make sure if you don't pay me back, I'm going to get my money. Come on. I want my money. We all want our money if we go into a contract with somebody. And so it's based on a mutual distrust where a a covenant is based on a mutual commitment. A covenant is based on a mutual commitment. So a contract is about a distrust. A covenant is based on a commitment. The word, again, we don't use the word covenant very often. And so I want to define it to you like this. Again, in your notes, a covenant is a binding agreement. It's a binding agreement, also known as a blood covenant. The reason we call it a blood covenant is, and this this is really, really cool, but um, this is where we get a little bit more mature. So, a blood covenant in, in the Old Testament, any time that a covenant was formed in the Old Testament, it was always formed by the shedding of blood. Always. So, for example, um, the covenant between um, Abraham and God, right? It, it began with the shedding of blood, which Abraham thought would be the, the death of his son, Right? He thought that he would have to go to take Abraham, um, Isaac to a mountaintop and, and slaughter him for, for God. And so, as a symbol of that covenant, he th- they thought that that's what it would be. But God provided a, a ram in the thicket. I love that word, thicket. No one says thicket anymore either. I don't know why I like it. I just do. And so, hey son, go get your ball out of the thicket. I don't say that, but it's pretty funny. So, God provides a ram. And, and Abraham slaughters that ram as a symbol of the covenant between him and God. And so, any time a, a covenant is formed in the Old Testament, it's formed with the shedding of blood. And so, in the Old Testament, when people would get married, it was completely different than it is today. And when someone would get married, the, the priest of God would take a knife, and he would take the groom's hand... And he would slice the hand of the groom, and the groom would then bleed. He would take the same knife, and he would take the bride's hand, and he would slice her hand, and she would bleed. And then he would join the hands together. And he wasn't done yet. He would take the cord, a cord, and he would wrap them. You can look this up. He would wrap them, and he would tie them together. The reason that they would do that in the Old Testament is because in the book of Leviticus, the Bible says that the life of a person is found in their blood. So he would bring the blood together, symbolizing two becoming one flesh, just like Matthew, like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19. So they would physically come together as one flesh with their blood coming together, they were blood brother and sister, like we were back in the day, like, like you'd fall and, and skim your knee, and your friend would fall and skim his knee, and like, oh, let's become blood brothers, and we'd touch our knees, anybody else do that, no, people, people would freak out today, oh, my word, oh, my word, my mama would kill me, my kids' mama would kill them, but check this out, it becomes even even more graphic and even more amazing, because you take that a step further into the honeymoon, right? And you come to the honeymoon and in a perfect world, again, a perfect world, two virgins would come together, and blood would be shed again through intercourse. And in that moment, because of the shedding of blood in the bedroom, two would become in one flesh spiritually in the the, the blood, bloodshed of the covenant would be formed again. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why sex is supposed to be so beautiful. That's why sex is reserved for marriage. That's why it's, it's an important, like it's, it, when, I, when I studied this this week, I thought, man, how many people these days are missing out on the beauty. That sex is supposed to be. Because this is, what is, this is, this is supposed to symbolize the union, the, the, the bringing together the, the one flesh. That's what intercourse is supposed to be. But yet, we've taken this beautiful thing that God has given us as a gift, and we've made it so perverse and vile. And it's not supposed to be that at all. And it's a way that Satan is stealing from us. And so if you are single, if you've never had sex, then I'm telling you and I'm begging you, please wait for your wedding day. So that that you can experience it the way that Jesus designed it, the way that God designed it, the way that he wants it for your life. A union, one flesh, a blood covenant, a mutual commitment is what marriage is all about. I think so oftentimes we say marriage is 50 50. I think if I were to take a poll, I'm not going to, but I think if we were to take a poll and raise your hand and say, How would you say marriage is 50 50? Everyone would probably raise your hand, but that's wrong. Marriage isn't 50 50, ladies and gentlemen, marriage is 100 100. It is a mutual agreement. You cannot divide everything in half in marriage. You've got to give everything in marriage. You can't divide it. It has to be 100-100, which is everything in our marriages is mutual. It has to be, if it's going to work. This is in your notes. A covenant partnership is summarized with... Godly leadership, number one. Godly leadership and mutual submission. Godly leadership and mutual submission. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21, we're going to be in Ephesians 5 for a minute. Ephesians 5 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. This is talking about husbands and wives. There are two different types of people in this world. Those that are dominant And those that are passive, those that are dominant, those are passive. And so um, as I was studying for this, for this message, I went to my wife, (laughs) come on, you know where this is going. I went to my wife and I asked her, I said, uh, honey, which one is dominant in our marriage? Which one is passive in our marriage? And she was like, well, I'm more dominant. She's right. She is. And, um, but at this, so, so we started talking about that because I think it's important to, to understand. My wife is naturally more dominant than I am. But there are things in my marriage that I am more dominant in our relationship that I am naturally more dominant in. Uh, it's just something that, that we work out. I, I, can, I can dominate my kids' schedule and their recreation. Um, Graham's basketball schedule, I've, I, I dominate that. I, I take control of that. And there are other things that, that I allow her to dominate our finances. She's much better at numbers than I am, so she dominates our finances because I know she likes to spend that money. So I let her just know how much we have, right? She's going to have the microphone in a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to regret that one. But it's, it's a relationship. It's a, it's, it's a union. It's, it's a mutual commitment between each other. And so there are some things that I dominate, some things that she dominates, some things I'm passive. Listen, my kids, they know which one's passive. Your kids, if you don't know which one's more passive, just ask your kids. They'll tell you. They know which one's more passive. My kids know I'm way more <laughs> passive than Mama is. I like to play the good cop sometimes, and we know that that doesn't work out very well. So Mama says, Adam, I need you. And that's when I know, all right, kids, it like, don't make me. And then they know then they really know that they're in trouble because dad's mad, because mama's mad. And so we have to work that out in our marriage. Ladies and gentlemen, work it out. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and 24. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 says this. It says, wives, submit... To your husband, your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So, um, I'm going to invite. It would be it would be unhealthy for me to talk to you about partnership if I didn't invite my partner to come up to tell you a little bit about our relationship and and how uh, what submission looks like and what this verse that i just read along with the next verse that she's going to read in just a moment what that looks like for us so ladies and gentlemen my better half the mama of the house the queen tanya harold thank you thank you
1: so i just want to (laughs) talk want to talk really quick um, to the women specifically about submission. How many here, when you hear the word submission, you think that's a dirty word? I thought that was a dirty word. That was like, to me, that said you're weak, you're mild, um, you're you're well-behaved. Um, how many people know that well-behaved women barely make history? Yeah? Okay, so I just want to start preface by saying that Submission does not mean that the man makes the dough and the woman stays home to bake it, okay? Um, So I'm going to talk to you guys about four quick things about submission, what submission is. Submission is a personal project. If we look in um, Ephesians 5, verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That does not say, men, you tell your woman to submit. Women, you tell your men to step up and lead. That's your personal project. That is something that we've been commanded to to do by God himself, and so that is something that we're continually working out in our own hearts. Husbands, this is your love for your wife is you leading her. Wives, your love for your husband is you submitting to him, but it's not done because he's told me to do it. It's done because I love him, but first of all, because I love God. Um. In the NIV translation, this says to your own husband. How many people, how many women out there consider themselves to be a boss babe or to be a gold digger or to be a wonder woman? How many women here have um, places of leadership in their work um, or in their hobbies? This says to submit to your husband. So to me, when I was growing up, I thought submission was all men. That doesn't mean you can be disrespectful, but that does mean that um, my submission, my, my charge by the Lord is to submit to my husband, not to every single man that I encounter. Second, strength surrendered. Submission is strength surrendered. Um, I have a brother who's uh, two years older than me, and he worked um, in Cape Cod at a glass-blowing factory. He's done kind of a million things, but this was one of his jobs. He worked um, in the glass-blowing museum. And so part of what he did was he would take this molten glass, put it into the fire, take it out, blow it into these beautiful things. I don't even know, like, how does one learn to do that? It's just like he could just figure it out. So my point is the fire that he used to blow the glass was strength, right? If we think of a wildfire, that can completely demolish a city. Um, But when that fire is strength surrendered. It's used in the correct way. Beautiful things can come out of that. Um, Jesus himself surrendered his strength all the way to the cross. So our example here for submission is Jesus. The Bible talks about um, being submitted just as Christ submitted himself um, to the will of the Father. So we know that the night before, uh, when he was betrayed, he cried, he begged, he pleaded God. take that from him if it was the father's will and he didn't we know that jesus from the cross could have commanded the angels to take him down and he didn't he surrendered his strength so i would say that that's a pretty darn good example of what submission is Uh, thirdly submission is your wordless witness how many people you don't have to raise your hand here but how many people would say um yeah that's easy to submit when your husband's the pastor When your husband's a really great guy, when your husband is godly and pursuing God, because you in turn are submitting to God. Well, 1 Peter 3 1 talks about this being your witness as a wife. Uh, Verse 1 says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. How many people know that your actions speak much louder than your words? So whether your husband is a believer or your husband is not quite there in the faith journey with you where you're at, you are required to be submissive to him out of reverence for him, out of reverence for the Lord, but also because your behavior, the most beautiful thing about you, is what can win him over to Christ. And fourth, uh, submission is your daily death. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus submitted himself to the whip, to the cross, and to death. Husbands, you are called to sacrifice your wants, sacrifice your desires, sacrifice your needs to put your wives first. If you show me a man who is willing to die for his wife, I can show you a woman who has no problem submitting to her husband. I just want to leave you guys with a quote by Matthew Henry. He was a he was a pastor and a commentator. He said, a woman was made out of Adam's side, not made out of his head to rule over him or his feet to be trampled on, but out of his side, equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near to his heart to be loved.
0: I love that girl. She, uh, I I'll kick my coverage, as they say. Uh, if you don't know what that means, you need to watch more football. Men, you are called to lead your home, period. So it, as, as we begin to kind of wrap this thing up, I want to uh, just kind of talk for a moment what that means. Leading your home is not making every single decision in your home. That's called a dictatorship, not leadership. Lead your home. You are the gatekeeper of your home, man. You are the one that holds the gate, holds the key to the gate of your home. Everything that enters your house has got to come through you. And if something enters your house that you do not want there,
1: you're the one that let it
0: there. So be man enough to step up and say, that needs to go. If there are two visions... In your home, you have division in your home. As a married couple, you are not called to live a divided life. You're called to live a united life. And so we have to be united as one flesh. Ty and I do not have a perfect marriage. In, in fact, I, I wouldn't even... You, you guys know me well enough to know that I wouldn't even act like we do. Uh, I wouldn't try to act like we do. I hope we never try to put on a front and, and, a, and a show for you to, to make you think that that we're perfect. We we fight. We argue. Uh, although we never fought before we planted a church, I promise you that. It's funny. Um, we... Uh, That's a joke, by the way. No one laughs. I know. know, I'm used to people not laughing. But um, before we started the church, we had to go through our organization, ARC, and and be assessed in our marriage, in our ministry, in our leadership. And so um, as as they assessed our marriage, one of the things that they asked us was, when was your last fight? And we looked at each other. For five minutes, trying to think of our last fight, we really couldn't think of it. I can tell you exactly when our last fight was now, because we've started a church since then, and um, it's it's so crazy how how that works. But um, our marriage is is not perfect. If we had a perfect marriage, we couldn't help you lead your marriages when it's when it's imperfect. So. God knows that. He knows that we're not not perfect. Satan attacks our marriage just like he attacks your marriage. We sin. We let each other down. I, I tell Tanya all the time, babe, I'm going to let you down. You better rely on Jesus because he won't. It's the same message that I had for kids in my youth group growing up, like uh, my youth group as I led them as youth pastor. If... if if all your eggs are in the basket of that one girl, you better you better find another basket. Like, like, Jesus needs to be number one. This is in your notes. Your marriage will only be good as good as you both decide that it will be. Your marriage will only be good as you both decide that it will be. It is mutual. You both have to decide... That you want a marriage that will last. It amazes me when couples say things like, well, I just don't feel like loving him anymore. Or I just don't feel like trying. I just don't feel like there's anything, any chemistry between the two of us. I just don't feel like it. How many of you know that if we didn't do everything that we didn't feel like, if we did everything we didn't feel like, we didn't do it. You know what I'm trying to say. That we would be in trouble. If you didn't, if you wake up tomorrow, you're probably not going to feel like going to work. But you're going to go to work. You're going to find a way to get there. Because if you don't, you'll get fired. We have, like, it doesn't matter if we don't feel in our marriage. Also in your notes, your marriage is not measured by your feelings. Your marriage is not measured by your feelings. But Pastor Allen, you don't understand. We just don't love each other anymore. We just don't love each other anymore. Getting a divorce because you ran out of love is like selling a car because it ran out of gas. Let me say that again because that was better than I got a response for Son, get, getting a divorce because you ran out of love for each other is like selling a car because it ran out of gas. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Don't give up. Keep pushing. Your marriage, you can either be united. Or you can be untied in your marriage. You know what the difference between those two words is? Where the letter I is. If the I is in the right place, if I am in the right place in my marriage, my wife and I are united. It's not your wife's fault, guys, that you're not united. I isn't in the right place. Ladies, it's not your husband's fault that you're not united. I am out of place. I am important in my marriage. But my wife is mutually important in my marriage. It's a a, a mutual submission to each other. Under the umbrella of Jesus. Because ladies and gentlemen, I, I want you to know, ladies, if your husband is telling you to do something that doesn't honor Jesus, don't do it. It has to honor Jesus. Guys, if, you're, if your wife is doing something, asking you to do something that doesn't honor Jesus, don't do it. Submit to each other under Jesus. He is the reason we have the beautiful picture of marriage because it's a symbolism of... My relationship to him. I have never known anyone else in my life to love me so much that he would die to have a relationship with me or they would die to have a relationship with me. Our marriage is a picture. Marriage is supposed to be a picture of our relationship with Jesus. But I believe, again, because divorce is so rampant, that people just believe in this God that gives up easily. But he doesn't. He doesn't give up easily. In fact, he says that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He is our friend. Do me a favor, just bow your head and close your eyes just real quick. We're gonna we're gonna wrap this wrap this up this morning. And I realize that there are marriages in this room that aren't united because maybe one person follows Jesus and the other one doesn't. I realize that there are marriages in here that aren't united because you you just don't see eye to eye on anything. Our goal is to have, to get people closer to Jesus, number one, And we believe that that can happen in the context of your marriage. I hope, I hope that when when people look at the Refuge Church, that they would see marriages that are healthy. Marriages that are united. Marriages that are strong. Marriages that have come together even when they were far apart. Marriages restored. So, in this moment of reflection, I hope that you're thinking about your marriage. I hope that you're thinking about your future marriage. I hope that you're thinking, most importantly, about your relationship with Jesus. Because he died a brutal death Remember how we talked about how that covenant is is agreed upon by the shedding of blood? Well, in the New Testament, the part where Jesus came and he lived and he died. He had to die by the shedding of blood so that there could be a new covenant, the Bible says. A new covenant, a covenant of grace. A covenant of forgiveness. A covenant of mercy. So that now we can go into a relationship with Jesus in a covenant or into a relationship with God through Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done. We can now have a relationship with our creator. It's a covenant of grace and forgiveness. One that you do not have to shed blood for because it has already been shed for you. So maybe you're here this morning and your, your marriage isn't united because you haven't come to a point of saying that you, fought, that you want to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you just haven't entered into that covenant of grace with God through Jesus. I want to invite you to enter into that covenant this morning. So do me this favor. If you want to enter that covenant this morning, just do this favor. Just repeat this prayer with me. It's not a magical prayer. It's not the words that you say. It's the belief in your heart. The Bible says that in in, in the book of Romans that it's by believing in your heart and by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. So just... Pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I know I've sinned. And I know because I've sinned that I need you. So, God, I ask the best way that I know how for you to come into my life and to save me because of what Jesus has done. Help me to live for you. Set my life on a different path. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer, uh, Marcel's going to come up and give you some next steps. But everyone, just stay with me and give God a hand today for what He has done.